Welcome to the Nintendo Watcher Podcast. On today's show, it's all about Metroid Dread. I'm here with Matthew Crockemeyer Rock himself. Hello, welcome back. Good both, to see you again, Justin. You too. We're both <laughs> fresh off of our first playthrough of Metroid Dread. And uh, today, no news roundup. We're going to jump right into what we're calling the Metroid Dread Report, Nintendo Watcher Edition. So, Matthew, Dread's selling really well. Um, the UK has really good um, sales charts and stuff for video games, not so much here um, in North America. But in the UK, it's number three on their game sales charts. It's the highest grossing launch in the history of the Metroid franchise. Yeah, so far, uh, you know, everything I've read and seen, uh, you know, all the buzz online and stuff, is uh, it looks like, you know, uh, predictions are good. It's probably going to sell really well, um, at least for a Metroid game. I think there's a good chance that we see uh, some more of these in the future. Yeah, I don't think we'll hit Animal Crossing numbers, but uh, no. for a Metroid game, definitely. Um, so, what did you think about it? Just overall impressions. Uh, let me set the table before you answer that. Um, the first part of this podcast will be spoiler-free, and then we'll have a, a short break. And if you've played the game already, you can come back for part two. If not, play the game and then come back and listen to, it, to our reactions to the story, um, boss fights, um, that sort of stuff. So, Matthew, what did you think about the game? Uh, loved it. Uh, currently, um, you know, after having gone through one full playthrough and started up a hard mode run uh immediately after um it's currently sitting at you know the top of my game of the year list i think um very few issues with the game overall um hard off the top of my head to think of the things that you know irked me or, or you know frustrated me uh, mostly it was just an enjoyable experience from start to finish i started playing it you know, Friday in, in the evening, uh, and I think I was done with it, you know, the uh, sometime Saturday afternoon. Uh, I just played pretty much straight through with uh, very few breaks. You had a pretty quick run through. What was it, six hours, seven hours? Uh, just under seven hours, like 6.50, I think, is was my first run. Um, I think part of that help, was helped by all of the Metroidvanias I've been playing uh, <laughs> for the last, you know, month and a half. Um, uh, you know, it felt it felt really natural to jump right into this game. Like there was um, a lot about it that was just familiar, but in a good way, mm -hmm. um, you know, I'll talk more about all of that when we get into, you know, the specifics. But what about you? What were your uh, initial impressions? I loved it. Um, I thought that Samus um, controlled better than she ever had. You know, it, it immediately made me think of Super Metroid. Yeah, you know, Fusion was great. Um, I hated it on handheld, though. I'm just, I'm just not a, a handheld 3ds kind of guy. Yeah. Um, but it really, really reminded me of if they made um, Samus Returns um, in 2021 on the Switch, or if they would have made Super Metroid in 2021 on the Switch. This is the game that it would be. Um, yeah. Controls are great. Um, much more story than I was expecting for a Metroid game. A lot yeah. of lore and mythology and uh, really progress the story and, and ways we'll get to a little bit later. But just um, general impressions, like I thought they went way further than they ever had in a Metroid game before. Yeah, I mean, I think it's more, you know, probably in line with like the Prime games with all the, the lore that those games had that you could, you know, find in, in the world and things like that. Uh, you know, they started to do this. I think this is, you know, uh, I mean... 
obviously since fusion right fusion had a lot of you know backstory and lore and things like that with the introduction of adam and you know um all of all of those elements you know the the ex-parasite story and all of that which obviously gets picked up and expanded on greatly in this game but mercury steam i think probably was a big hand in that too because samus returns you know for a, a game that doesn't have a whole lot of story with you know uh metroid 2 we did some interesting things with just like environmental storytelling and um, you know small cutscenes and things like that that really kind of pushed the you know the the series in that direction. So I think this was like the first time where they were like, hey, let's just you know combine all of that and and see what we can do with you know more you know thoroughly developed, more streamlined story. Yeah, looking at it now, Samus um, Samus Returns on 3DS almost seems like a trial run for Dread. Oh, yeah, what would you do if you <laughs> had this IP, Mercury Steam? Yeah, I think that was great um, because they, I mean, they basically took everything, you know, the counter system, the, the 360 aiming, all of that from uh, Samus Returns and they just streamlined everything, right? Yeah. Uh, added a few new interesting power-ups, uh, made some of the old power-ups just feel really good to use. Uh, I think holding off on the you know the morph ball for the first couple hours of the game is one example of uh, a way that they kind of rethought the traditional formula, right? Allowed us to play around with the slide, which was a new addition to mm-hmm. the series for a few hours, get used to new movement options and, and abilities, and then kind of bring back in the, the classics which is pretty pretty cool yeah the list of of power-ups in this game is just astronomical and it, it i mean it's a it's a a bug and a feature of a metroid game that you're gonna get a ton of power-ups and you've got to memorize how to use them i think um this particular game did a really good job of spacing them out well enough so that you really learned how to use that power-up that you just got before you got another one so that you never really felt overwhelmed by power-ups yeah. or not knowing like what do i use in this particular situation because you were so familiar with them by the time you got to your next one yeah i think this ties into you know the controls talk we've, we've been kind of discussing and dancing around which is um there is so much that samus can do this time around um i mean shine sparking feels better than it ever has um you know just the the controls of her general movement you know the the feel of the jumps the you know the slide and and you know the forward momentum that that creates you know the speed boosters a, a classic that has returned yet again um all of this stuff just creates a really fluid experience. You top that off with the weapon upgrades, you know, the various beams and and different missile combinations and things like that. And it can get a little bit uh, overwhelming uh, at times. I mean, the, the, there's so many options that sometimes it feels like you're needing to use every single uh, button on the controller all at once. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. To, to be able to aim and, uh, you know, pull off the, the moves that you need to do. It's uh, hand cramping at times would be, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it, it reminds me of a game um you know that, that you walk away from and you don't play for a month and you come back and have no idea what you're doing oh yeah yeah i think yeah that's <laughs> like you don't know but, where to put your fingers what buttons to press yeah by the end of the game it was it was like i wasn't even thinking about the controls but the first couple hours i mean i had to stop and like 
think for a second. What button is missiles again? How do I get the? How do I use the? You know the Aeon abilities and uh, you know the bombs. You know even the power bomb. Mm-hmm. A simple move, easy enough to do. But then they add in different variations of it, and suddenly I can't remember how to do half the things that I'm I'm trying to do. Yeah, this is not a game that that you play over a month. This is this is like a weekend game or play it over a week. You really have to be invested. This yeah. isn't something that you just casually uh, you know fly into and fly out of it's it's gonna take a lot of time and and uh i mean just a lot of muscle memory honestly yeah yeah Uh, but you know uh that said it all feels really good to play yes um you know from a you know speaking of you know how it feels to play um one of the big things that's come out in the you know the conversation uh following its release is the difficulty of this game um like I said, I cleared it in just under seven hours. Do you remember what you clocked uh, your first run at? I had a, a very leisurely run. I think it was around 11 hours. Okay. But I think that that's clocked pretty standard, actually. Uh, yeah. From casual players, I think I've seen like 12 to 15 hours is, is pretty normal. Yeah. And I think your collection rate was probably higher than mine. It was 65, <laughs> yeah, I think. Yeah, so a good 10 plus percent more than me. But um but how did you feel about the difficulty? Because I know, you know, like you said, Metroidvanias are not really your forte. They're not your your general, you know, preferred uh, genre. Um, and I feel like the differences in our playtime reflect our different investments <laughs> yeah. in, in this genre. Um, but the difficulty-wise, I think even even veteran Metroidvania players still struggled with some of the stuff in here. So how did that, you know, how'd that go for you? Yeah, it was tough. It, it really was tough. I, I am not huge on Metroidvanias. I do like them. I enjoy them. But um, I do really love Metroid games. And I think because it was a Metroid game and so much of it felt so familiar that um, – you know, boss attack patterns, for example, some of them, I'm not going to spoil anything here, but like the mini mother brain that you have to kill to kill the Emmy, that was straight off of, of the mother brain fight from uh, Super, right? Like all of that stuff felt familiar, mm-hmm. um, but it was difficult. I mean, no doubt about it. Um, these bosses are just like bullet sponges and when they hit you, it, it can take a yeah. lot of damage, um, especially if you haven't taken the time to find all the the um, energy capsules mm-hmm. and and the missiles. Um, I, you know, I found myself playing these boss battles, um, which we'll get into more depth on later. But the boss battles generally, I was having to play them a dozen times to, to yeah. get through. Yeah. Um, so it it wasn't difficult in the way that. Um, like like I think uh, a Dark Souls game is. Mm-hmm. Um, it was difficult in that you're always learning something as you're playing. You're getting a little yeah. better. There's because the game is abbreviated. I mean, like you said, you cleared it in six hours, um, a little under, a little over six hours. Um, you can tell that you're making a big improvement in a really short amount of time. Yeah, it's not like a forty hour game where you really don't feel like you're making. You know you're making really, really tiny mm-hmm. improvements. Like this is like, okay, I got to the next stage of this boss battle um, and I know what he's going to do next. Let me try it again. Let me try it again. And it's just over and over and over. Um, I also think that um, Mercury Steam did a really good job. Um, like after you you die with the Emmy or boss battle, especially putting you right back yeah. um, so that you don't necessarily go straight back into the battle. Yeah. But, uh, you know, if you need to go find more missiles, you can do that. Or if you're ready to try again, just go through the door and the cutscene yeah. starts. That was something that, 
you know, I think back to Super Metroid, and I remember, um, you know, the Ridley fight from Super Metroid, and when you would die there, right, because that fight notoriously difficult for for you know Metroid bosses as far as they're concerned. Um, you'd you'd run back it was you know not a long run but it was several you know, it was a minute or two um it took you through a couple of rooms that could really you know do some damage if you weren't you know uh you know on point with your movement and things like that and if you're trying 20 times that yeah, adds up it adds up it gets frustrating and yeah. one of the things that really you know made i think this game the boss fights in particular feel um you know, not feel frustrating when they easily could have, because like you said, they are difficult. I think, you know, on average, I spent, you know, between four and six uh, attempts per boss, um, you know, before finally clearing. Um, But when you die, you're, like you said, you're right there. And so it feels good to be able to uh, pick right back up and jump right back in without having to, you know, lose any of that, you know, muscle memory that you're building up in those short windows. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, some of the fights are are so choreographed that any amount of time you spend away from it, right, impacts your ability to hit those targets. That's a great way to put it. Um, the countering was absolutely essential mm-hmm. for, for beating some of these bosses. So it's not like, um, you know, with, with the Emmys, you could just avoid them and not have to worry about countering. Um, with these bosses, you have to counter if you're yeah. going to defeat them. Yeah. So you have to get good at, uh, I mean, I don't really like the... Um, uh, what, do, what do you call quick it? Quick time events? Quick time events. I yeah. hate quick time events. Um, this felt like like an elevated version of a quick time event. Yeah. Um, especially with the Emmys, you never knew when the, the, the light was going to flash. And I think the timing was random. Oh, it was randomized for sure. Yeah. Um, there's the, and, but if you're going to do a quick time event, this is the way to do it. Because it True. feels cinematic without feeling intrusive. Like it feels good. Um, I mean, I... You know, I failed the quick time event on on the final boss uh, on my best run against it. I failed the quick time event with like no health, no missiles <laughs> left, um, right at the end of the fight. But it wasn't the end of the battle, right? I managed yeah. to to fight my way back, uh, got a second shot at it. You know, they give you those windows. You know, if you miss it the first time, the window comes back pretty quick. Uh, most of the boss timings are pretty set, right, in, in yeah. stone. So. It never felt unfair, um, and it just felt kind of good to have this kind of climactic, you know, conclusion to each of these these boss battles. Yeah, speaking of the cinematics during the boss battles, um, when you hit the counter and you go into mm-hmm. this this sort of like a cutscene, it's actually interactive. Yeah, you can fire missiles, and I, the first time I went through the first few, I didn't realize I could fire missiles. Yeah, and uh, if if you miss that, you're missing a golden opportunity to to hit you know, an enemy with 40 or chunk of damage. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's huge. And it's, especially later in the game, it's essential. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I just thought that was such a cool way to, yes, have a cinematic where Samus is jumping around doing something really cool that you can't necessarily do in your normal uh, gameplay, but also add, um, you know, the, this, this extra um, interaction that the player can do. So you're not just watching a movie that's, yeah. that's going to last two or three minutes. Yeah. So we've talked boss difficulty mostly so far, but I think this game is kind of broken up into three really distinct phases, right? Gameplay phases. There's the exploration phase, there's the Emmy encounters, mm-hmm. and then there's the boss fights and mini bosses. It shocked me how uh, the Emmys fell away after a certain period. You know, like they're still yeah. there, they're still a threat, 
but you're really focused on these boss battles. Yeah, but I want to spend some time with these other two two areas because what I found interesting is that even you know as I was getting stronger and feeling you know more competent at, at these boss encounters. I still struggled with the Emmy encounters throughout the entire game. I think I died more to Emmy encounters than I did to anything else. Wow, really? Yeah. Um, For some reason, you know, I struggled to hit that, like you said, that timing, that randomized timing. Oh, yeah. Struggled to hit those counter timers. Um, Stealth is not my forte. Um, I am not a strong stealth game player. I love stealth games, but I'm that, that player that has to either reload the level you know five six times to you know learn the the movement patterns of the enemies and figure out the timings or who just decides forget it we're just going to go in guns blazing and try to clear out you know this this uh level without worrying about the stealth at all right um and so these emmy fights these these emmy sequences right which you know i don't think it's a spoiler say there's been plenty of stuff in the in the uh promotional materials you know they're small uh, stealth segments, right? Yeah. I mean, you are trying to both avoid detection, and once you you know are detected, it becomes a chase scene, right? The movement feels great. The chases are always a blast, but there's certain times where you're forced to stand up and you know uh, fight back. And in those instances, you know, um, I I did okay sometimes, but a few of them, you know in order to figure out the best pattern and when to, you know, engage or disengage with them, you know, I find myself dying constantly to the Emmys. Yeah. I mean, it, it was, that's probably the newest addition to Metroid, maybe to Metroidvania. I don't know. You, you know more about this than I do, but um, the stealth edition may be the biggest um, new thing here yeah. for, for Metroid games. Um, I really, really enjoy the stealth sections. The most frustrating part about the Emmy encounters, that, that at least I, in my playthroughs, was trying to find that um, that long stretch. Yeah, where the Emmy is coming at you, and you can you know meld its its face guard off before you blow it up with the Omega Cannon. Um, I mean, it, this is this is true of of the Omega Cannon. It's true of the speed boost. A lot of Metroid, especially late game, is trying to find those wide open areas yeah. where you can actually activate these powers, right? Um, that was the most difficult thing for me. You know, once you defeated the Mother Brain, which I thought was kind of a letdown, honestly. The the mini Mother Brains, like, yeah. they weren't ever really a threat. No. I think they were more, like, you know, they were more homage than anything else, which, yeah. you know, like you said, though, when put up against some of the other boss fights and mini bosses, I mean, um, some of the mini bosses in this game, you know, without spoiling, you know, uh, anything about them are some of the most compelling fights in the entire series. These, these little, uh, you know, one room encounters against a few um, uh, pretty significant threats um, that are also also serve as really good indicators of how you're improving in the game because the way they sort of layer these these mini encounters on top of each other and, and use them as kind of benchmarks for your progress and your, your competency. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it makes it when you encounter something like the the Emmy Mother Brain, which is just this small sort of one room encounter. The only thing they change is maybe a couple more projectiles coming at you um, rather slowly, easy to yeah. avoid. And, you know, 
they aren't they're never threats they don't i don't i don't think they were meant to be necessarily no. but um which i also think is kind of a cool callback to super metroid though right because you know for all intents and purposes these are mother brain returned right uh, you know many mother brains but mother brain nonetheless and uh, this is something I want to talk about more later, but the characterization of Samus in this game is just phenomenal. We and I think, talk about that. and I think the these mini Metroid fight, like mini Mother Brain fights, are meant to have us feeling right that she's come so far since Super Metroid that this encounter that should be this daunting, terrifying task is just you know another another random encounter in in this this uh, you know strange planet um nothing to be concerned with right yeah um which i think is a really cool characterization and something that we should talk about more with you know um the craid fight which again in all of the trailers we know he's in it right we'll talk more detail about this specific fight but it's just another instance of uh you know finally painting her as this intergalactic bounty hunter that we know that she is or have been told that she is yeah we're finally seeing you know the attitude that goes along with it which i think is really cool yeah that intro cutscene to that fight was yeah awesome yeah. um so let's let's before we go to break let's talk about the difficulty of the actual exploration yeah. what, what did you think about just getting around this new world so i'm conflicted because i'm you know i, I heard a lot of, of chatter online about people that were, you know, constantly getting lost and having a hard time finding nice I know, you know, a few points, you know, I had to do, a, you know, some loops around a sector to try to find the, you know, the hidden block or the, you know, the missing room that I hadn't, you know, located before. But I think that, you know, Mercury Steam did a really good job in directing the player without overtly telling them where to go. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Power-ups are are placed in such a way that you've gone through sectors of the map, right, that have, you know, the the doors or the blocks or whatever it is that you need to blow up and you can't avoid, you know, running into them. Yeah. And so if you're paying enough attention, you'll you'll probably remember at least one room where you can use this new power that you that you just found. But on top of that, the mini map or, or I should say the world map in this in this game is phenomenally intuitive. Yeah. I mean, you can go in, it, it tracks every power-up you've seen, not just the ones that you've gathered. It shows you every door and, and different type of, you know, environmental, uh, you know, um, hazard that you might have run into. Undiscovered and, areas. Yeah. yeah. And, and you can, I mean, you can go in, and I, I didn't know about this until towards the end of my playthrough, but you could actually go into the mini-map select a particular door type like a let's say the charge beam right a charge beam door um hit a button and it would highlight every single charge beam door on the minimap so you you know if you ever were lost say you just picked up the charge beam you highlight all the charge beams door you go start checking them right and eventually you find your way back to where you need to go and so i thought that even though it never you know tells you here's where to go next you know you have the the mini conversations with adam that kind of tell you uh, as vaguely as possible what you should be looking to do next yeah um you know that if you're in one area uh you probably either need to backtrack to the area you just came from or continue proceeding through like there's really only two options um, right. and so i didn't find it as as frustrating as as some people have mentioned online but at the same time um i can see why new players would be 
turned off by it because it it doesn't hold your hand at all. It, it no. allows you the option to to have your hand held, but you have to you know seek it out. You have to go into the menus and you have to spend some time looking and hunting around that map or um, you know revisiting areas in order to to get the help that that it does offer. Yeah, and th- this is this probably speaks to why it took me so long to get through and you not so much. Um, my my uh, modus operandi for playing a Metroid game is on every single pixel in the room you know just like especially before you get the pulse radar i'm bombing everything just to make sure there's not a hidden block or anything so um i think for a lot of new players that could really be a hang-up where you're not expecting some uh you know uh, uh trap door or um maybe a, a vent right above a door that, that you don't know about. I remember getting um, frustrated with the map in one particular location pretty early on, maybe right before the crate fight. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just a very, very hidden duck that you have to, to go down that I missed, totally missed. It's pretty obvious when you look at it, but I missed it and ended up in a different part of the map. And then when you're that early in the game, it's hard to backtrack. You have yeah. to go back through the entire map. Yeah. Um, I think I lost at least an hour doing that because I went all the way back to the start thinking that I needed some upgrade that I didn't have. And it yeah. turns out I was just an idiot and missed the, the one little spot that I should have gone down. Well, that's a good point because that is probably the the major frustration with the the you know progression in this game um you know not taking you know people that are super familiar with the game and know how to sequence break and things like that into account um a casual player could just miss one single block that they needed to find needed to uncover right in order to find the passage to where they have to go yep and if they don't find that one room, that one place in that one room, you know, they're going to be hunting for, you know, uh, hours until they find it. Um, and so I think there's absolutely a case to be made that um, it, the exploration can be frustrating at times. It can be, you know, um, a little obtuse. Um, but I think that they've done enough in here to to kind of bridge the the gap between the players that want no direction and the mm-hmm. players that need a little bit of help right they've given you the options if you if you want it but they've also left it so that um if you want to just find it all on your own you can never open up the mini map and just keep lo- or, or the world map and just use the mini map to explore to you know the best of your ability yeah yeah that's true what did you think of um and, and we'll, we'll talk about this right before the break what did you think about the actual environments you know Early on, they felt a little samey. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was a little disappointing um, just to to kind of see, you know, uh, very similar terrain and, and enemy types and things like that. But very quickly, I would say within – by the time you get to like the third or fourth uh, zone, um, which is not very long into the game, maybe an hour, hour and a half yeah. – um, it starts to vary pretty dramatically. Um, not to mention, sometimes there's various points in the game where certain triggers will will happen where areas you were at before will change, right? And so it'll help differentiate them in that way and make them you know kind of new and exciting. But overall, I think you know and this goes to kind of just the graphics of the game. Uh, the backgrounds were really well done um you know uh, metroid games traditionally 2d side scrolling you know a lot of verticality and and Mm -hmm. and horizontal movement but not a lot of you know 3d depth no depth really right um pretty flat backgrounds and things like that they really 
went above and beyond to make the world feel like 3D, um, even though you're running on a 2D plane. Um, And so even though the environments may have felt a little bit samey at first, the backgrounds are so interesting and detailed and full of life that um, it was a joy to run through everything. Not to mention the game just looks gorgeous. Yeah. you played on handheld primarily, right? Yeah, I was on my Switch Lite. A little uh, smaller screen than the, the Switch, and I haven't got my OLED yet. So yeah, <laughs> I was on the Switch Lite. You played docked. Yeah, um, which is and so I'm curious because um, you know there's a few reviews have mentioned that um you know, the docked mode actually looks significantly worse than handheld mode, that the game seems to have been optimized for, for handheld hmm. play and that um, things can feel a little bit stretched a little bit, um, which I do think is fair. I, you know, there was some jaggies on the docked mode that um, when I, you know, the few times that I had it out in handheld, I didn't really notice. It did look smoother uh, in handheld mode. It was nice being able to look at those really lushly, you know, designed backgrounds on the, the big screen, but how did it feel playing, uh, you know, uh, on the small screen? What were your thoughts on on the way the game looked and, and kind of uh, played? Yeah, so I just got finished saying that I hated playing uh, Samus Returns on the 3DS because it was handheld, and then yeah. I ended up playing this entire game, well, 75% of my playthrough of Metroid Dread on my um, Nintendo Switch Lite. And I think it's because um, the, the layout of the controls are, are just really comfortable on the Lite, yeah. and I like that a lot. The screen is a little smaller. Um, you know, I, when I played Doc, I was, I, I thought maybe some of the colors look a little washed out. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe, um, like things do feel a little stretched, but I thought it was just me going from the small screen yeah. to, to a bigger screen. And, uh, and now that I'm thinking about it, maybe that's why I gravitated towards the switch, mm-hmm. um, in handheld rather than on my, on my TV. Um, I, I thought the game looked amazing. Yeah. Um, Samus's uh, uh, character design this time around was just top notch. Yeah, uh, I thought the bosses um, and and just the, the normal enemies. I mean, you've got different enemies. You've never seen enemies like this before yeah. in a Metroid game. Um, all the character designs were awesome. Um, I mean, maybe some weren't super original, um, but they all looked really good. Their movement was fluid. Um, and and really like I, I think that the graphics in, in the entire game really played into this this um, dreadful theme that the game was going yeah. for. I think they did a really 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 good job of tying that um, visual motif throughout the entire mm-hmm. game. Mm-hmm. So speaking of the the areas, right? You know, you asked me my thoughts on the the world map of the different areas. Uh, I'd like to hear more of your thoughts on that, but also, you know, how did you feel about the the shift, right? Which is this is something just minor but significant, I think. The the shift from uh, starting at the top and working your way down <laughs> yeah. versus throwing us into the depths of the planet this time and having us work our way back to the surface. Did you did you think that was an interesting choice? You know, aesthetically, did it help you connect with the world in any way, or you know, did it have any any impact on your gameplay? Yeah, I, I think I think that I just approached it differently. I'm not sure if it had any effect on the gameplay because at, at most times it still felt like you were going left to right, right? Yeah. You weren't weren't doing a whole lot of up and a whole lot of down. Um, but going into it, when I realized that's what was happening, the ship was way above me. 
I think that I did start thinking about it differently. And maybe that this, this ties into what I was saying earlier about just the dread theme of it. In previous Metroid games, Samus is the predator. Yeah. She lands the ship on the surface. She's invading and going into the labyrinth of the planet. Um, she's very vulnerable in, in this game at yeah. the beginning. Um, you know, uh, not giving anything away here in the first 30 seconds. Um, she gets into uh, altercation with Ravenbeak, um, this mysterious Chozo, and uh, she's stripped of all of her, her armor and weapons in typical Metroid style. But um, she is really in a vulnerable position. She's no longer close to the ship. The ship in previous games is a save point. Yeah. Um, you can recharge your energy there. You can get more missiles. That's gone here. Yeah. And, and there's really no um, like, like home base for Samus in this game. Um, I thought that was really interesting. Uh, not so much in a, in a gameplay perspective because you, you, know, you find your way around. You don't spend a whole lot of time at the ship in other games. But just psychologically for me playing through it, I was like, wow, they are really uh, turning this on its head and um, giving us something familiar but different. Yeah. And I thought if, if for nothing else, just other than the symbolic nature of it, um, it, it was an interesting move. You know, uh, Samus isn't really the hunter anymore she she's the hunted and uh, you know you as a player have to figure out um, not only how to get back to the ship but um, how to recover all of these these upgrades and I mean you do that in previous games too but in this one it's, it's more important because it's about survival trying to get off the planet yeah, yeah. you know if, if, if she could just get off the planet she could blow the whole thing up and, and no big deal um, but it's it's just it's it's different whenever Samus can't just leave the planet. Right. And yeah. I think from a from a story perspective, that was really powerful. Yeah. So I think now would probably be a good time for us to, you know, end our, you know, just general thoughts on the game. You know, I've already said my my game of the year front runner right now, you know, how do you how do you rate this? Where do you rank it? You know, is it is it a must buy for people? Is it a ten out of ten? What would you say? What would your recommendation be on this game? I mean, for me it's a ten out of ten. Yeah. I can't say that I would recommend it to everybody, though. Yeah. I, I think that this is the kind of game that um, without some proper background in Metroid and maybe even Metroidvania generally, this is not a game you're going to enjoy. <laughs> you know, I, I think that if you're a new player, new to Metroid, and you really don't know what you're getting into, you could hate this game. I mean, it's the same way with um, like like old school JRPGs yeah. uh, with, with turn-based combat. Like, that's something that... that older players find endearing um but but you know more modern games have kind of gotten away from i think in in a similar way this kind of uh metroid um vania like specifically metroid game um can be difficult for people to come into yeah that's interesting because i don't know that i agree necessarily with that that assessment but i because i think that on the one hand it's maybe the best entry point for a new player into the series. But on the other hand, like we said, it's not a game that holds your hand. It doesn't do a lot of tutorializing. Um, most, and this has been an issue, you know, or, or, you know, depending on how you look at it, a strength of Metroidvania games since, you know, Super Metroid and the original Metroid even, where most of the tutorializing is, environmentally uh you know mm -hmm. delivered it's not it, 
it's not, you know, here's a couple of menus. Let me tell you how to use this thing and, and do this, you know, this kind of jump or, or land to this ledge or, or, you know, go into the morph ball or whatever it is. Um, you just do it. You mm-hmm. try to see what happens. Um, <laughs> there was a, there was a, a sort of viral tweet going live after, um, the game released of a, of a, a player who uh, was asking about you know Nintendo's refund policy because the very first jump of the game um, requires you to hold the jump button to jump high enough, right? Because there's variable jump distance, there's jump mm-hmm. height, right? Um, and this player was unfamiliar enough with this genre, right, that they couldn't hit the first jump of the game, like the first significant jump of the game, um, which is funny for Very those funny. of us that know these games that are familiar with variable jump heights and, and you, know, uh, you know, variable pressing of the buttons and things like that, but is also indicative of what you're saying, which is there's enough obtuse elements in this game. There's enough difficulty spikes and, you know, walls uh, in this game that could prevent a new player unfamiliar with the genre um, from getting the same kind of enjoyment out of it that someone else would. Yeah, and I just I just really hate the idea of somebody playing a Metroid game and and really hating it. Like yeah. that that kind of like is upsetting at a, yeah. a really fundamental level. Um, but I agree with you that this is the most um, approachable Metroid yeah. game. Uh, the most accessible, definitely, uh, just in terms of. You know, you can play it on your Switch. You don't have to go buy this old piece of hardware and then track down an old game cartridge or something like that. It's, it's very accessible. Um, if you know what you're getting into, absolutely. Yeah. If, if you don't, but you're um, you know willing to try something new, then yeah, absolutely. If you're somebody who's easily frustrated by difficult games, this is not the one for you. Even yeah. though I think it's an absolute 10 out of 10. Yeah, it could not have been better. I can't imagine how they could have made it better. Yeah, I mean, I, I like I said, I don't really have. If I if I had to level one critique at it, it would be you know the the what I said earlier about you know some of the environments feeling a little samey, mm-hmm. um, some of the signposting being potentially frustrating for for newer players, um, and then you know I, I could see the boss difficulty being a turnoff, but I never thought that anything in this game was unfair. Um, I thought yeah. that. Um, if anything, these are some of the most well-designed, choreographed, and fluid boss battles I've ever experienced in a video game, bar none, right? Like, I I can't think of another game that has boss fights that feel this good, aside from maybe, you know, a, a, a standout of the genre for me, right? Hollow Knight, which is another one that mm. I think has some really, uh, or, you know, a Souls game. Uh, these are the ones that I think of when I think of really well-designed, well-choreographed you know, boss battles. I found myself when I was playing um, against these bosses and dying laughing. Yeah, yeah, which is great. Well, I think this is probably a good time for us to just say we're going to jump into spoilers here. We're going to talk about some story beats. We're going to hit on specific bosses, what we liked, what we didn't like. Um, so, It'll be a continuation of our, our thoughts and, and feelings on the game, but we're going to dive deep into spoiler territory. So if you have not played the game yet, now's a good time to hop off the pod. Um, we'll put a note in the show notes uh, for when we come back for our game recommendations of the week. Uh, but for now, we're going to jump out of here. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, uh, we're going to hit spoilers.
We're back. Uh, second half of the pod. We're going to be talking spoiler territory here. Um, we ended the first half of this kind of talking about the boss fights. So I just I think we should pick up there. Let's talk yeah. about some of our favorite bosses, some of the ones that gave us the most trouble. Uh, we can talk about the mini bosses now, you know, the Chozo warriors uh, who we encounter at several points throughout the game, which I thought were some of the most enjoyable, well-choreographed battles uh, that you come across. Let's talk about the Chozo Warriors. Yeah. I had such a hard time with the first one in the small room, mm-hmm. and then um, when they throw two at you. Yeah. And the thing is, I, I, I think you said it earlier in the pod, um, or, or, or some version of this, but I think that the Chozo Warrior battle specifically, I, yeah. I'll call those mini-bosses, I think. Yeah. Uh, they really sharpened you. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what they were there for. Like, like really, really making sure that you, um, you understood your, your, um, uh, your, your space jump and yep. you knew how to use your, uh, the homing missiles. I can't remember what they call them now. Um, but, uh, I think those, um, you know, let's, let's check that really quick. Um, but I think that the Chozo warriors, um, what is it? Storm missiles. The storm, storm missiles. of course, That's storm missiles. Yep. Why would you call them homing missiles? Yeah. Um, I think the Chozo warriors really, really were there to um, sharpen you, make sure that you were ready for the next boss battle yeah. because they they tended to come right before or a few a few um, rooms away from the big boss. Right? Yeah, and and so one of the things that um, about those Chozo fights is they reminded me um, in some ways of the Emmy encounters um, because you are, you are trapped in a room with this fast moving, highly mobile um, threat, right? Mm-hmm. That can take you out very quickly. Um, if your timings aren't sharp, if your movement isn't precise, if your, you know, aim is off. Um, Their combos are devastating. Yeah. They can, they can really do a number to you real fast. Um, and, the fact that unlike boss battles, right, um, where you're often in like a big open space with just a floor and maybe some walls to jump off of, these have, you know, platforms, these have, you know, um, nooks and crannies, dead ends, places for you to get stuck or trapped or to evade and, and yeah. dodge. And so that movement that you perfect in the Emmy rooms running away from the Emmys, you get to then take that movement that you've been perfecting for, you know, several hours and add to it you know, the feeling of fighting back, of ha- of actually leveling the playing field, right? It's yeah, not you really go on the offense yeah. there. Yeah. And the only way to, you know, the only way to come out ahead on those fights is to really, you know, play pretty aggressively, um, mm-hmm. which the boss battles, I think, um, you know, a lot of them require patience, right? Yeah. They require a dedication to knowing when the appropriate time to attack is. And these fights do the same but they allow you to feel more um samus's strength her her you know her threat really right yeah. they they kind of restore like you were saying at the beginning when she's stripped of all her powers right she's really vulnerable and as you move to the surface you know the first time you encounter one of these i think you've only got like two or three upgrades at that point and mm-hmm. so uh, you know it's firing you know just standard missiles at it and dodging and hoping that things go your way yeah by the time you reach the the combo fight that you're talking about you've got storm missiles you know you've you've got your your wave beam at this point almost to, you know you're You've got all these different uh, elements of your arsenal back. And so they throw two at you. 
And it doesn't feel that much different no. than when you fought the one prior. Um, and so, yeah, there are these really awesome checkpoints, these these progress points where you feel, you know, I am getting better at the game, right? I am feeling – and like there's nothing more satisfying than encountering a threat from earlier in the game that gave you pause and just – blowing through the encounter um with with very little difficulty you know you make such a good point about um, some of these boss battles you cannot play scared against some of these bosses which is a total reversal from the emmy sections where you know you're you're in a stealth mode um you're approaching with extreme caution mm-hmm. uh, probably being overly cautious for those first few you yeah. know while you're getting used to the emmys you are playing scared yeah. you're being you know super careful you're trying to manage your resources with your um your your um your cloak and um some of your other abilities um but when you go across uh, and start fighting these bosses in other areas you can't play scared yeah you have to be very aggressive come out early you know yeah um there's the so we t- we're talking about the shows of wars these are the ones that use um you know arm cannons and and uh, blades and things like that but there's also these like chozo elites or whatever they are chozo warriors um that you encounter the first time you encounter one it's an actual boss battle right i mean it's got mm-hmm. the cutscene intro it's everything they've got these these big glaives or spears or whatever and they you know, you're stuck in a room they're dashing back and forth you're dodging and firing and you know the standard boss battle right the first time you encounter it again very difficult you know you have to learn the patterns because they they it's it's the moment they introduce the x parasites for the first time i believe right right? um and then all of a sudden this guy you know this 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 boss battle starts showing up as mini bosses mm-hmm. just over and over again you fight maybe five or six of these these chozo elites uh during the the course of the game and what's really cool about those fights again is they change a little bit each time like as the x parasite does it evolves a little bit gets a little bit stronger smarter a faster you know? yeah yep. a little faster um adds a shield at one point that you have to get past that was tricky for yeah. me with the, with the last i think the very last fight with one of those with the shield yeah a couple of them have them but the last one i think is the shield is uh, invulnerable yeah you can't hit it yeah. with a missile you have to hit him um from the back and was, it, it was difficult yeah the prior ones you could blow up the shield with enough storm missiles they would eventually uh, explode and you know re- restore your health and missiles but this last one you, you couldn't but still even that even you know again the what i thought was really you know i'm going to backtrack a little bit but what i think this game did so well uh, again we've talked about how it's already more story intensive than a lot of mm-hmm. other metroid games but it does the environmental storytelling way better than other games as well because it makes you feel samus's growth right her development her you know uh her return to apex predator um very well and i think the emmys are an interesting example and i want to talk about the the stark difference between the way they depict her body language her attitude towards the emmys Mm -hmm. right a new threat something she's never encountered before something that is meant to be overwhelmingly you know hostile and and uh you know insurmountable versus craid when you meet him for the first time. oh that's a great that's a great uh counterpoint yeah 
Because we've 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 seen Kraid since the original Metroid. He was much smaller then, but he's come back in for know, some reason. He's in dread. Yeah, uh, you <laughs> fan know, service probably. We have him in Metroid. We have him in. Uh, in Samus Returns, mm-hmm. um, the remake of Metroid 2. So we're just talking timeline-wise. He shows up in the first two Metroids. Um, and then he's also in Super, right? Um, and so he's been this sort of, you know, like Ridley, this kind of omnipresent threat yep. to to Samus for as long as we can recall. Um, and yet we encounter him in, in the depths of like the third zone of, of, uh, of dread, uh, chained up in a, in a lava room as per usual, you know, in, in uh, you know, towering over her. Um, but there's no sense of, uh, dread or threat in the initial encounter. I think she stands right at the edge as he jumps at her yeah. and she doesn't move. Yeah. She's charging flinch, up right? a charge beam, right. And just shoots it right off into his face. Yep. It's like, I've been here, done that, right? This is nothing. This is routine, right? Yep. Uh, there's there's nothing to betray that, that vulnerability that we feel when she is, you know, um, when she encounters Ravenbeak for the first time, for example, yeah. right? Or the Emmys, right? Yeah, I, I, I want to um, take a step even further back for a second and compare uh, Samus and Dread to Samus and Other M. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, really, like, like I think in Other M, I mean, obviously, uh, that game was not great, but she was really portrayed as incredibly vulnerable, yeah. uh, scared a lot of the times. Like, I, I, I'm thinking about your example with Kraid. She's, she's fought Kraid, you know, yeah. num- numerous times in other games. Um, I remember playing other M and there's one point where she, she sees Ridley and it's, it's, it's like, she is distressed at seeing Ridley. Yeah. She's already fought him. Yeah. Six times by the time other M comes around. If you count the Metroid prime series too. So I, I, that, like, that always stuck with me because I, I hated, um, how, how they, they portrayed her in that game as, as, um, like not being this badass bounty hunter. Yeah. You know, she was she was somebody who needed protection from the Galactic Federation and and like you want a strong protagonist yeah. and, and they undercut her at every opportunity. In Dread, they really turn it on its on its head. I mean, she she is afraid of the the Emmys, um, for, for good reason. But everything else she tackles head on. Yeah. And I think that's the 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 big thing is like people were so upset about other M rightfully so right because that portrayal of her was just so discordant with everything we've we've had that's come before and and again there's not been you know the before other M there weren't significant examples of her personality she's a silent protagonist largely yeah. other than her journal entries in fusion um you know she she's a silent protagonist. She doesn't emote very much. You know, the most we ever see of her outside of her suit is when she, uh, you know, the, the game over screen or smash brothers. Yeah. (laughs) Like, and so I think other M tried to, to lean into developing her personality and just fumbled so poorly, um, because they didn't understand what it was that people liked about her. Right. And I think the backlash was, heard right i think dread is an indication that the backlash was heard and that they were reversing course on that depiction because i think about you know we're gonna we're gonna get right to the end i'm gonna jump ahead we'll come back but i'm gonna jump ahead to the the end when she finally um encounters raven beak right she's talking to adam right 
Adam the the primary uh, source of tension for most uh, Metroid fans uh, because of other <laughs> M. Um, you know the the demeaning, belittling, you know, uh, commander who talked down to her and made her feel, you know, made it feel like she was less than, than we know she was. Um, the AI right in this game is named after the, the other M general, uh, as it was in fusion. Mm-hmm. Um, and the final scene right before the, the last boss fight is, um, her being told by Adam, right. To do something, right? To do what you're to told. Do what you're told, and what does she do? Charge beams it, right? Straight to the face, blows up Adam, right, and uh, drops the illusion, reveals it to be uh, Ravenbeak. But that's not, neither here nor there. What's important is it felt really cathartic to have her, you know, stand up to Adam and his commands, yeah. right? Kind of like in Fusion. I mean, she disobeys Adam in Fusion at several points, but it, it doesn't seem as deliberate there. Whereas here, it feels like a direct response to the um, the backlash from other M. Yeah, and it, I, I like that um, Adam in this game, um, which, which is the ship's AI yeah. um, in, in this game, um, it, it happens very gradually, and you don't even realize how much he's been talking down to mm-hmm. Samus until the end when he says, do what you're told. Yeah. Wow, that part? Um, I, I, I didn't know what was going to happen, obviously, when I was playing through it the first time, and I was like, wow, that was that was weird. And, and, and looking at it now, like it's supposed to shock you. It's supposed yeah. to, to say, like, hey, something's not right about this. Something's going on. And uh, you know this 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 AI had suddenly become very domineering, and and um, I don't know. Would you say almost like like a parent? Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. The things get weird towards the end of Dread. Um, you know, it, it can't be said that the game. Uh, uh, well, let me back up. I do think the game sticks the landing. I think it's you yeah. know the final sequence is is breathtaking and really well done. Um, but that's not to say that there aren't questions, there aren't some weird <laughs> things that happen that need to be um, talked about. There's a lot of revelations in this game. We learn a lot of things about Samus's past, about her future potentially, um, you know, where the series might go. All of that is is really kind of set up here in the in the the sort of climax uh, of the game and, and everything that comes after. Um, what you know, I, I guess. I want to talk specific bosses, but we've kind of already pulled up here to the end. So why don't we talk about this real quick, and then we can go back and talk about some of our favorite, you know, bosses and encounters in the in the game. But Ravenbeak, mm-hmm. right? The the omnipresent antagonist of this game, uh, you know, shows up at the beginning and, and saps her of all her powers. Is a constant threat through the voice of Adam uh, through most of the game. Uh, someone to be avoided like the Emmys, someone only to be sought out once everything else has, has been accomplished. Um, uh, you know, built up very strongly mm-hmm. uh, in the game. And at the end, it's revealed, right, that, that this whole time, at least since she arrives at the bottom of the planet, ZDR, that... Uh, he has been the voice of Adam, right, behind the scenes, been yep. leading Samus along her, her journey through ZDR, directing her to these various PowerPoints and bosses and, and trying to to uh, restore her uh, to her peak uh, 
what did you make of the big reveal um, about Samus and uh, her relation? Not just uh, not just Samus in general, but also you know these are kind of two separate things, but also her relationship to Raven. Yeah, from a storytelling perspective, I think it happened a little too fast. Like yeah. there were too many beats, um, like stacked on top of each other, and I couldn't absorb one thing before something else happened. Yeah. Um, the the part about Ravenbeak being, uh, he, he called himself um, her father. Yeah, a real uh, uh, Luke Skywalker, Darth yeah, Vader moment. Very much so. Yeah. But uh, apparently contributed uh, to her DNA mm-hmm. um, when, when she was living with the Chozo. Um, and then uh, upon fighting him, uh, she becomes full she goes full on metroid yeah yeah i mean there's uh, no other way to put it she becomes a metroid right yeah uh, <laughs> listen i i thought that the, the the sequence was just amazing and the suit looked awesome oh, stunning and it's the coolest samus suit we've had in any of the games in my opinion i was really hoping it was going to stay that way yeah, but yeah. yeah i get it um but uh, i think it, it it hit me too fast and i wasn't able to absorb it yeah. all at once um, but you know, I really, really like how, uh, Mercury steam has tied in like Metroid lore from the manga before yeah. the first Metroid yeah. game even, you know, was set. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this is Metroid five. Let's not forget. This is Metroid five. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's accessible to new players, but it is Metroid five and yeah. they, they picked up a lot of story threads and pulled them through here and uh, I think really set themselves up for um, a continuation of the franchise that, yeah, it could still be about Metroid, still be called Metroid because she is the last Metroid. Yep. I think uh, uh, Quiet Robe says that to her at the yeah. end, that, that she's the last Metroid. Um, but I thought it was it was just very satisfying from not just a, a storytelling perspective for Dread, but for the the franchise, it felt like a bookend. Yeah, you know, one thing that I, I don't think anyone would would fault me for saying that Metroid lore has not traditionally been the most important or tightest element of the series, no um, and yet Dread seems to pull from, like you said, every game that come came before and make the threads between games much tighter yeah it feels like everything that maybe felt kind of disparate and and kind of diffuse before now feels much more compact and and fully realized i mean the again this is the best depiction of samus we've ever had it's the most fully realized depiction of her she speaks for the first time yeah um i mean she emotes in ways that she hasn't before um her relationships to various entities and peoples are are made much clearer. Um, it's just a very satisfying conclusion to the Metroid arc yeah. of this game. And yet it leaves enough open, right, that this series can easily continue. I mean, we still have, um, you know, the space pirates out there, I'm sure, right? We've still got existential threats. We can maybe now lean into the bounty hunter aspect a little bit more fully in, in future yeah. games, I think. I mean, there's, there's nothing that they do here... Um, that doesn't leave room for a sequel. Not to mention the fact that if the the whole premise of Metroid has been eradicate 
galactic threats, right, intergalactic threats. We had the Metroids, then the X-Parasites, and now we've got Samus who, according to the end, and, you know, tell me your thoughts on this because I don't really know what to make of it, is both the last remaining Metroid and the last X-Parasite. Yeah. <laughs> I I don't know what to make of it either. Right right before we started recording, we just need to get on the same page about this. Yeah. And I, I don't think we got any more clarity on it. Um, yeah, it, it was um, really confusing to me there at the end. Apparently, she is the most powerful creature in yeah. the entire galaxy right now, um, which is, you know, really cool. Also, really satisfying after spending... Yeah. You know, several hours collecting all of these these um, upgrades and stuff, and and fighting these really awesome battles. Um, you know, th- this game for me, I said this on the Nintendo Pals podcast I did a few months ago um, about uh, Super Mario Odyssey being what Super Mario sixty four was for yeah. us for kids today. Yeah. So kids today played Breath of the Wild, you know, we had Link's Awakening or uh, not Link's Awakening. Um uh Link to the Past? Yeah, Link to, gosh, Link to the Past. Yep. Totally forgot. Link to the Past and Link's Awakening too. Yeah. Um and Majora's Mask. Yeah, my uh, first uh, game was Link's Awakening. That was my first uh, Zelda game back on on my old Game Boy Color. I think it was mine too. <laughs> but I can I can see Metroid Dread being the Super Metroid yeah. for a, an entire new generation oh, of, of gamers. It's 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 it feels like a milestone kind of game. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of callbacks to Super Metroid. Um, honestly, it kind of felt like The Force Awakens to me. You know, like yeah. hitting a lot of similar plot points to the original um, uh, 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 New Hope, um, but upgrading them in a certain way, um, modernizing a lot of the yeah. controls. Um, you know, I I love Super Metroid. Yeah, I've played Super Metroid dozens of times. I think it would be hard to go back to Super Metroid yeah. after playing Dread. Yeah, I mean, you know, we'll probably get flack for for being as glowing in our our review of this game as we are for, from some corners of the the internet. But um, I don't think it's a stretch to say that this is the tightest and most fully realized Metroid game. Um, it's there's certainly the nostalgia factor so to some of the old games. Um, I will say that. You know the the areas and the the map movement, the exploration maybe feels a little tighter in Super Metroid. Things feel more kind of connected and yeah. things like that. Um, but other than that, everything else just feels better to me in Dread. I mean, uh, and this is you know a, a large part due to the improvements in you know technology and just game design. I mean. Yeah. The movement feels so good. Space jumping has never been easier. Uh, shine sparking has never been more enjoyable and you know uh, fun to play around with. Um, you know, not to mention this game. The Mercury Steam has leaned into the things that Metroid fans like. Right? Mm-hmm. They have. They have fully embraced the speedrunning community with this game. Uh, <laughs> I mean. So we we I I don't think we mentioned it at the beginning of the podcast. We wanted to save it for this, but I do. You know, let's go back and talk about um, you know because we're wrapping up the conversation now. But I want to hit on some favorite boss battles and just some things that we're excited to see going forward. Yep. Um, you know, one thing that I I 
I really appreciate that Mercury Steam did was lean into the speedrunning community, the idea of sequence breaking. Um, for those of you unfamiliar with it, um, obviously Metroidvania games follow a pattern of upgrades where you typically have this sort of treadmill that you are on that's just pushing you forward to the next upgrade. You go in order, one, two, three, four, right? And unlock new areas of the map as you get these... these um, Upgrades. Original, you know, most of the Zelda games are similar to this with, you know, you get the bombs and then you do a dungeon that focuses on the bombs and you get the boomerang and you do it right. And and so this is not an unfamiliar trend, but speedrunning players love to find ways to break out of the sequence, get to an item earlier, use, you know, movement options in ways that are not meant to be used uh, and unlock new secrets. Um and one that came out very early was that you can actually get the bombs before you even get to the crate fight. Um, it's important to note that in every Metroid game that has come before, one of, if not the first power-ups you receive is the Morph Ball. In Dread, you do not receive the Morph Ball until right before like the crate fight yeah um it's it's several hours into the campaign um you've gone through two three maybe four zones at that point um and it is it is noticeable uh the bombs come even much later than that after you've recovered the grapple beam and so you have to figure out a way to unlock the grapple beam, find the bombs, and do all of that before encountering the second boss of the game, right? And again, these two upgrades are meant to be found much later after Kraid is defeated. But if you do that and you go to the Kraid fight, there is a bombable block at the back of the arena that one-shots the second phase of the crate fight entirely. You launch the morph ball into the wall, it launches it into the disgusting hole on Kraid's belly, uh, you bomb the the hell out of it, and the fight is over. Um, never before have I seen a, a developer of a Metroidvania and I could be wrong, I've not played all of them and I'm not a huge speedrunner, but never before have I seen a developer take an idea like sequence breaking and make it something that you could use, right, deliberately yeah. to beat a boss more effectively. Yeah, I found that later, um, the the launcher. Yeah. And I was like, what is this for? And then I remembered, oh, this is the, the Kraid uh, uh-huh. uh, arena. Yeah. Because I would, it, you know, it just shoots you across the room. I was like, what, what could this possibly be for? Unbelievable. Yeah, and um, it's like you wouldn't notice it if you were, if because again, you have, you can't access that if you're going in the traditional sequence. You would have no way of knowing until, like you said, you go back to the room later on a backtrack when you're yep. looking for upgrades, and you happen to bomb the wall and find it, or you use the radar and see, oh, there's a hidden block here. What do I do? Um, baffling. Yeah. Baffling to me. Um, but also the coolest thing i think it makes me wonder what else is out there you know like like what other sequence breaking um, yeah. things are built into the game that may, maybe aren't as obvious as that one yeah. i mean the bomb launcher right it yeah. doesn't go anywhere no it was deliberately designed that way but you know they've also taken into account uh things like quick kills right mm-hmm. which is a, a speed running strategy um 
I can't remember the name of the boss. It's the the one that you fight in in the the lava zone um, around the big reactor when you're oh, starting the yeah, reactor. Yeah. I can't remember either. Um, but anyways, that boss. Uh, there's a sequence at the end of that boss fight that's like essentially Metroid meets Flappy Bird, right? Where you have to use <laughs> uh, yeah. your space jump to to dodge lasers that fly across the room with just like one safe spot or two. Um, turns out if you speed boost during that phase right and then go into a shine spark right at the end of it you can quick kill that boss by shine sparking into his face really yeah you jump up into the air do the shine spark and right across uh, and it takes the boss right out i didn't know that because it's got the fan that's pushing yep. you so you've got plenty of room yeah huh. so you can use the fan to build up momentum with the speed boosters to enter shine spark and so it requires some real tricky you know very precise movement but for those players who are looking for you know, ways to optimize this game, to speed run it, to sequence break it. It looks like Mercury Steam has has really taken what the core community, because I, I would say that most Metroid fans, ones that are really big Metroid fans, are familiar with or at least invested somewhat in the speedrunning community, because that's the community that keeps these games alive yeah. in the zeitgeist. And so... Um, the fact that this was something that Mercury Steam said, hey, we want to appeal to these players. We want to give them some Easter eggs, some some fun things that they can do with our game, um, really shows not just a love for the series, but a deep fundamental understanding of what people like about these games. Yeah. What, what was your favorite part of the game? Was it a boss battle? Was it uh, uh, exploration? Like, what, what, was, what was it about the game that you, you really, really gravitated to? For me, you know, again, it's hard to say definitively what was like the one thing that stuck because I, I don't have complaints. And so, um, you know, I, the Emmy sequences, I think if anything, they were probably the only place where I experienced a little bit of frustration because, again, I'm just not great at stealth. But the boss fights, I went in expecting them to be difficult from everything I heard, uh, you know, from, from the lead up. Um, and they are, they are, they're, they're, you know, I'm not trying to claim to be, you know, this, this God tier gamer or, or this, this excellent, you know, Metroidvania player, but, um, I, I, you know, I'm actually quite not great at most games, but, um, <laughs> I did not struggle nearly as much as I had expected with the bosses in this game. Like I said, I think most bosses I got through in, in one or two fights i found them challenging not necessarily yeah. difficult yeah it, their patterns i felt that the telegraphing was very well done the the patterns were easily identifiable even when they were varied you could you could you could notice the signposting very quickly uh, it didn't take long to learn the fights and with the exception of maybe three fights in the game um like i said about two runs per um however a couple of those fights, the final boss, Ravenbeak, that yeah. fight, uh, I think it took me six tries to, to finally take him down. Um, the the one we were talking about before with the Flappy Bird segment, that one took me a couple tries. Um, and then there was, uh, <laughs> for some reason, the lightning bug. Uh, there's a lightning bug that gets you the, the scatter missiles. Um, the storm missiles. I killed that one instantly. Yeah, I don't know. For some reason, I struggled with that one a couple times. It took me a few runs at that guy. But for the most part, the bosses just felt so – like they felt really satisfying to learn the patterns to and mm -hmm. to perfect the movement on. Um, by the time I got to my clears, right – 
I was taking almost no damage, yep. right? It was it was the case where I was getting destroyed until I learned the pattern. And the second I learned the patterns, I could avoid 90% of the damage in the fight. I do want to say, though, uh, just knowing the patterns isn't enough. You have to be really tight with your controls. And I yeah. think that the patterns taught you how to do that, yeah. how, how to really be you know reflexive and yeah. and so uh don't take that away from yourself i, I mean that that yeah. is a big part of it being really really tight knowing which weapons to use when yeah um and and how to maneuver around because i mean even even something like the the space jump yeah. like it seems like that could get you out of almost any trouble situation you have but controlling that jump is not the easiest thing yeah. in the world when you have you know Especially with Ravenbeak, I'm thinking about when he's got his machine gun. When you got to loop him. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty tight controls. And, you know, what's, you know, a lot of, a lot of the critiques about the, the game is that the, the game itself doesn't prepare you for the difficulty spike of the boss fights, which I didn't find to be true. Yeah. Like, we talked about those mini bosses before, the, the Chozo Warriors in particular, and I think that those rooms where you encounter them, the fights that you have against them really encourage you, right, to practice with and get better at your timings with your movement. The Emmy fights, the Emmy chases. Yeah. Maybe it was just that some people are so much better at, you know, the Emmy sequences than me that they didn't have to make, you know, they didn't have to outrun them most of the time. I was outrunning them constantly. So yeah, me too. I had to keep practicing my movement. I had to get tighter at using the different movement abilities in the game. And so when I got to the bosses, you know, looping Ravenbeak at the end to dodge his machine gun, you know, his Gatling fire piece of cake right yep. doing the flappy bird jumps right i'd done enough space jumping at that point with with the screw attack and whatnot that i could dodge you know those those lasers pretty easily and so to me the boss fights were the standout they were you know uh every one of them satisfying every one of them enjoyable and all of them built upon the foundations that the previous ones had, had sort of yeah. established i mean it, you can get by most of them by just relying – once you get the storm missiles, you can just storm missile pretty much the whole time. Um, you rarely have to use your actual blaster. Like I think there's certain fights where I never even used the blaster. But there's options. Some bosses take more damage from the blasters. Some take you know powerbomb damage. Some there's things that you can do with other abilities that if you – do it makes it much easier. I did not know in Ravenbeak <laughs> that you could actually power bomb the sun in phase two or uh, phase, phase three. Phase three. Yeah. I didn't know you could do that. So I spent the entire third phase of that <laughs> boss fight dodging both him and the sunbeams that were coming out. Right? I made that fight harder on myself than it needed to be because I just didn't know. And yet I never felt any of the bosses were unfair. I never felt that they were, you know, um, deliberately designed to frustrate they all seemed very tight very enjoyable and very satisfying to defeat very satisfying yeah. so what about you other than the you know i mean if it's the boss fights let's talk more about that but what what really pulled you into this game um i think it was the abilities you know like a lot of the abilities were familiar but a lot of them were brand new um and and i really really enjoyed um the cloak because I, I like stealth games. Yeah. 
And I think a lot of people, um, at least from from what I've seen online and and uh, like on YouTube and on Twitter, a lot of people only use the cloak in the room with the Emmys. Yeah, but it can be used wherever. You know, if you want to avoid a, a battle with with you know a, a, a few enemies in a room um, that are just annoying, you know, you can use the cloak to get around yeah. them. Um, you know, I I thought that was a really nice touch. Um, I I really really enjoyed the the pacing of the game. It was it was it felt like you got upgrades at the right time. Yeah. You fought bosses at the right time. Um, but you know I I think my favorite part was the boss battles too. I mean, at a certain part for me, and I mentioned this earlier in the podcast, but a certain part for me the Emmys just disappeared. Like they yeah. were, they were sort of a, a, a minor annoyance by the time I got to like the, the purple Emmy uh, towards the end. It's like, okay, yeah, I've got one more Emmy to kill. But at that point, you know, you kind of figure out how to get around yeah. them and maneuver around the room and not get caught. And, and you know what they're looking for when they're coming after you. Um, it, for me, it was the boss battles. The Emmys were, yeah. I feel like, you know, you know, before the game came out, there's a lot of talk online about Nintendo's giving way too much away in these promos. Yeah. Turns out not to be true at all. No, no. I, I you know, I hadn't thought about that when I was playing because it, it kind of just, the Emmys, like you said, they just kind of fell out of my mind after a while. Like, I don't even know when I started thinking about it, but after about the th- second or third Emmy, I just stopped thinking about those zones largely. They yeah. became more of an issue of as soon as I would encounter one, I, I, I knew you know, the first few times I crossed through here, I'm just running to the next exit, right? And so I would just sprint my way, you know, jump around and dodge to the next exit, uh, head out. And then I knew that I'll beat a boss and then I'll come back. And that's when I'll find the, you know, the uh, mother brain room, kill that, get the power up and destroy that Emmy. And so yep. like the the after like the third one, the pattern became so familiar that they really did, like you said, they just kind of became afterthoughts, which mm-hmm. in some ways is a little disappointing because I think those are some of the, the most enjoyable sequences on their own, but they do feel a little samey. They aren't all that compelling after you've encountered a few of them. They do try to you know add new abilities to each of them, but it never boils down to much more than run away until you find the room with the, the power up, right? And then find a long corridor to, to blow it up. Um, yeah. I think... I think that that's probably my my biggest gripe, I guess, was that I expected the Emmys to maybe be more involved than mm. they were. Um, you but. know, I, I ended up finding them a little gimmicky. Like, yeah. I, I wish that um, you could kill them. Like, maybe it takes, like, 200 missiles or something. Yeah. But, you know, you could actually damage them if you were good enough. Uh, you could kill them without the Omega Beam. Like yeah. I think that would be a really cool change because then you know you're you're not just running, you're running and gunning. Yeah, it'd be a nice challenge. Yeah, and uh, so I felt like after like the second or the third one, like okay, I'm just going to find this charge beam. It's gonna like approach me like a panther, and I'm gonna melt its face off. Yeah, and, and it's gonna you know I'm gonna shoot it, and it's gonna die. Um, I felt like there was more they could do there. Um. But the first few were, were really, really fun sequences. Yeah. It, 
You know, I, I think that's that's all fair, right? All of those critiques are fair. And, and like we said, we've been mostly glowing about it. But yeah, it, it is, you know, in hindsight, it is kind of disappointing that the big marketing push were the Emmys. I mean, they're on mm -hmm. the case. They're the Amiibo, right? Yeah. Which we both finally managed to grab. Finally. Right? So that's great. Um, but uh, they really did take a backseat to everything else uh, in the game, which, you know, is not to say that they were bad, which is maybe just to say that the game was so good that the yeah. Emmys, being as enjoyable and as cool a sequence, you know, set of sequences as they were, um, really were not the most compelling or interesting thing about the game. Um, and so, if I had to say, I mean, like I said, this game for me largely falls at the top of the Metroid pile right now. Yeah. Um, I'm, it also makes me hopeful for Metroid Prime 4. Mm -hmm. I'm hoping that the the goodwill and and publicity that they built up with with Dread will lead into a really strong push by Nintendo. Like they'll see that people want this and and hopefully lean a little harder that that direction. Yeah, I really enjoyed the sequences in in the the cutscenes where you went inside Samus's yeah. helmet and you got that little bit of a, a sneak peek of what what Prime Four is. They felt like really like. nice little Easter eggs for the players that are that are waiting on the sidelines for for Prime Four. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Anything else we want to say about Metroid Dread? Uh, I think so. Let's let's talk just briefly. We'll do you know no more than a couple minutes. But where do we go now? What happens after you know? Other than Prime Four, which we already know is is in the works, uh, where do the two D games go? Do you know? Do you think that Mercury Steam has built up enough goodwill with Nintendo that um, they've already got you know either DLC or a sequel in the works? Ah, uh, you know, that's a good question. I, I'm not sure about a DLC, anything DLC. I, I'm sure there's a sequel. I think this game is going to sell so well. They're going to basically have to do a sequel. Yeah. Um, my big question is now that Samus is so powerful, how do you take her to another planet or whatever and strip all of her powers away yeah. when you know she can literally suck the energy out of anything with her hands? So... I guess my my question is now we we go one of two ways right we we end up in in one of two directions with with a sequel to to Metroid we either go the Dragon Ball Z route right where uh, there's always someone more powerful right yep. if not this galaxy some other galaxy right there will always be some other threat and obviously they can do the the trope of you know zap her powers some way but that requires there to be a threat strong enough to do that. Right. Um, so that's direction one, which I think is the route we will go. Um, I think I'm hoping we don't, you know, dip back into the Ridley well. I'm hoping that's not the direction we head. Um, but the other one, and the direction that I would hope to see, and, and this will be maybe controversial for Metroid fans, is. Um, Samus becomes the threat. Samus is the antagonist going forward. That that we actually um, that we get a new protagonist for the series um, and and something because it's clear by the end that the the implication is that she struggles to control this Metroid DNA. Obviously, the X parasite seems to walk that back a little bit. Yeah. Um, but they make it very clear that she is the largest threat in the galaxy now, which 
you know, Adam says, depending on what you do with that, right, that might not be a problem. So they're implying, you know, she'll still go on to be the strongest, but it'll feel a little unrewarding to me, I think, if we built her up to be the strongest being in the planet, and then all of a sudden, we just retconned that there's something stronger out there all of a sudden. No, I had the same exact thought when she uh, went through the transformation at the end of Dread 2. Like, okay, well, she's, she's uh, you know, the, the antagonist now. If, if you look at what Ravenbeak was trying to do, he was trying to, um, or even the Chozo, if you go back to the Chozo, yeah. Chozo were trying to bring peace to the galaxy with the Metroids, yeah. right? They were um, trying to um, find something that could kill the X-Parasite. Um, I think Ravenbeak even says he's trying to make a, an army of, of Samuses yeah. so that he can you know, bring peace to the galaxy. Like the trope of the bad guy who's got to do this really awful thing to make something right. good happen. Um, so with the lines between good and evil already very blurred in, in the Metroid franchise, I can totally see – I mean – Samus has never really been on the on the best side of the Galactic Federation anyway. Yeah. Um, I can totally see her um, maybe not necessarily being evil, but but getting too powerful and then the, the Galactic Federation yeah. or even just knowing that she has Metroid DNA like and, and she is full on Metroid now. She's got to be taken out. It does seem that, that the, the threat will be the Galactic Federation going forward. It does seem you know, the, the destruction of, of the fake Adam at the end and, you know, the fact that she is being positioned as the, the main threat, right, which the Galactic Federation is, is meant to stop, um, might mean that that's the direction. The other direction could be, you know, yeah, the return of Ridley and the space pirates who now want, you know, uh, they wanted the Metroid and Super Metroid. They probably want Samus for her DNA now. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, you know, we may end up doing like a maybe a soft reboot in some ways I could see too, right, where we, we just kind of soft reboot the series and pick up from here. Um, but, I, I, you know, I think there's some really cool things they could do and then some things that'll disappoint uh, after, you know, what this game did. It's going to be hard to follow up, I guess, is my, my big thing. Yeah, I, they'll never do this, but I would love to see um, some of the older games come to the switch yeah whether in in hd remakes like i think uh samus returns the controls if i'm remembering correctly are similar yeah to dread um obviously it's a 3ds game there would have to be work done but there is precedent for other 3ds games to be ported to the switch yeah i think that'd be an easy move um to, to build on dread um also think uh, like it would be really good to we we have Metro we have Super Metroid but Fusion like you can't play Fusion unless you have a, a that was a 3DS game right yeah. well it's on the Wii U um, but the the Fusion version is I believe uh, the the 3DS version is only for the Ambassador program that's right so you had to have had a, a Gen One 3DS in order to to get uh, Fusion on it. Um, so other than that, your option is the original DS or the the Wii U, mm-hmm. so. or some other way yeah, to play video yeah, games. Regardless, not as accessible as anyone would like them to be. Yeah, I'd like to see those come back. I mean, I'd also like to see. I, I think after this, they they really um, pivot to um, the Prime series. Yeah. Um, I mean, I I, I think it, there there's pretty substantial rumors about the the metroid prime trilogy being re-released on the switch yeah 
I think that's an easy one, um, especially the first two that didn't have the motion controls that the third one has that, yeah. that make things kind of difficult. But I can see that happening. And then, uh, you know, rather than coming straight back to 2D Metroid in a year or two, they, they um, you know, take some time, build up the prime uh, part of the franchise a little more and then, uh, you know, return in, in several years with maybe a soft reboot or, or um some continuation of of samus with being the villain yeah it's interesting because uh, you know mercury steam has a history with with the, the you know with the castlevania series um but interestingly enough with their 3d entries into the series so um there's precedent for them to maybe get involved with um you know the prime series maybe help retro out a little bit maybe they're going to pivot them over there and have them help with prime four but um i i do think that you know as with the Zelda series, that Nintendo is probably going to keep you know a, a dual lane uh, with this, where we'll have Mercury Steam working on some two D entries, and then we'll have Retro you know still working on on the Prime series going forward. And you know, depending on how Prime Four goes, that you know, I wouldn't be surprised if Prime Four is the last Prime game in the series, with how long and troubled the development of that game has been. Well, not only that, if you look at the story of the game, it takes place between Metroid. 2 and mm -hmm. Super Metroid so they're actually like like they're limited in what they're actually able to do in those games without yeah. changing the 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 canon and that's what i wonder i wonder if you know cuz it's another one of those nintendo lore debates right um i think you know most people would say that that prime with the inclusion of of uh you know mecha ridley um in in i think it was fusion um or no, uh, zero mission. I think it was. was he, I can't remember. I think it was zero mission, or or the end of Samus Returns, whichever it was. But there's there's a there's you know that's that's what it was. Samus Returns, um, the Ridley fight at the end of Samus Returns. Uh, people have taken that as um, canon for Prime being part of the main trilogy or yeah. the, the main story uh, of Metroid. So it's entirely possible that. Prime 4 just takes place after Dread. Yeah, that's true. Like we don't know. We don't know how long that. how long that they, you know, because there's been so nothing released on Prime um and we know that Dread has been in development for 20 years on and off. <laughs> yeah. It's entirely possible that they already know where where Dread goes in its Metroid Prime 4. You know, I, I do want to take a quick second before we close out here and and just touch on the development cycle for Dread. So the excuse was that the hardware at the time would not have let them build this game. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know about that. It, it seems like there's nothing here that wasn't there. Maybe not 20 years ago, but 10 years ago? Yeah, I don't... I, you know, obviously the game they have now is different than whatever it was being, but I, we don't know. We don't know yeah. what it was being designed to be before. Um, you know, what it became now, I think, is perfect for the Switch and where it ended up. Um, Would have worked equally well, I think, on the 3DS as we saw with Samus Returns. Because like we said, this is just Samus Returns, but refined in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, you know, pretty dramatically refined, I'll say. But regardless, um, yeah, I don't know. The The... I, I my guess is it was more of a um, you know until the buzz for Prime Four got as as significant as it did, um, I think that actually helped make Dread happen. Is yeah. Nintendo knew that people really wanted Prime Four, and when Prime Four hit the development snag, 
you know, I'm sure that they were like, well, we've already got all this great stuff with Dread. Uh, you know, Mercury Steam did some really good things with Samus Returns. Let's let's ramp this back up. Let's get this because we can knock it out. You know, uh, in a in a much shorter development cycle. And Mercury Steam probably pitched it in some way, or at least you know put the the, the threads out there that they'd like to cover that. So yeah, I think um, I think largely. Um, it came out when it needed to come out, and I do think it was in, in part pressure from the the troubled, you know, production of, of Prime Four. I think uh, the, this Dread game is is really emblematic of, of something Nintendo does really really well. Um, I mean, I've owned Xboxes and Playstations. Um, do now you're you're a PlayStation yep. player too, yep. um, so this this is not like a console wars thing. No. But um, Nintendo, at least their IPs can do really, really creative things, even yep. running on limited hardware. Yeah, I mean, the debate right now, um, the, you know, the the bad faith debate that's happening uh, on Twitter um, as we record this is the $60 price tag. Yep. Um, you know, I think in closing, you know, on our Metroid segment, it's important to note that graphics do not make a game. Runtime does not make a game. Um, how enjoyable something is to play is what makes a game. And there are few games this year, this last decade that I have enjoyed more than Metroid Dread. I picked up a second run immediately after finishing. I do not replay games that quickly or that often. Even if I revisit a game several years down the road, it has to be one that really grabbed me. For me to jump right into a second playthrough means that the game was something special as far as i'm concerned um it more than it more than uh you know demands the 60 dollars price tag that they're asking i think it's absolutely a fair price and, and anyone arguing otherwise is arguing in bad faith yeah absolutely and and one, one of the this is kind of a, a in the weeds point about that but so your your seven hour playthrough or yep. six, six seven hour playthrough um my 12 hour playthrough it doesn't count if you die, yeah. you know, battling a boss or whatever. So you could probably add two or three more hours. Or all the times you spend in menus, which yeah. you do, right? Yeah, which, which you inevitably do. So, yeah. like, th- there's extra time there um, that, you know, uh, Mercury Steam made that playtime for speedrunners, it yeah. seems like. Yeah. Um, so it, I, I'm, I'm not surprised about that, but yeah, it, it is totally a bad faith argument to, to say that, oh, this only has a, a you know, 10 hour play time. So yeah. it, it's not worth the $60. And, you know, it's, it's kind of a redux of that argument that, that came out when, when, uh, Metroid Dread was first announced, like, yeah. oh, a 2d Metroid game for 60 bucks. Just look at anybody who's played it and they'll tell you it's yeah. absolutely worth it. Not to mention, you know, there's... I can't count the number of $60 3D open world adventures I've purchased and then dropped off after a couple hours because they just, they didn't feel good to play. They felt repetitive. They felt bloated. They felt, you know, um, the pacing was off. Like there's something to be said about a well-paced, well-designed, fun game, right? That, um, you know, it's worth spending the money on. Now, look, if you don't have the money, wait for a sale. Go for it, right? Um, but to to suggest that that Nintendo is in the wrong 
for charging, you know, standard game prices, right? Mercury Steam put a lot of effort and time into this game. Nintendo, uh, you know, is a company trying to make money. Uh, We could get into all that. There's a whole lot of issues with with that. Um, But if the if the industry says that sixty dollars is what you pay for a triple A game, then I don't see why Metroid Dread should charge anything less. Totally agreed. Okay, we'll be right back with our game recommendations of the week. And we're back. We've spent a lot of time in the past, I don't know, five days and uh, in the past hour or so talking about Metroid Dread and playing Metroid Dread. But Matthew, um, other than Metroid Dread, do you have a game recommendation this week? What should people be on the lookout for? So I am only just starting, uh, you know, now that Dread is is on the horizon or on, on, on the back burner and I'm, I'm slowly working my way through a 100% hard mode run, um, I'm trying to play some other games, trying to branch out from the Metroidvanias, um, and I'm moving back to my, my usual wheelhouse of the JRPG. Um, just getting started with it, I can't say a whole lot about it yet, but enjoying my time with it a lot, which is... Um, the world ends with you. Final remix. Oh yeah, yeah not I got the, that too. Not the one that that just came out. Not Neo, the the sequel, um, but the original that was. Oh, the 3DS. The uh, port. The, the, the yeah the DS or was it a DS? It might have been a DS a DS or a 3DS port. I'm not sure. That's the one that I am playing. I never got into that series when it first came out. Um, didn't have it on my my DS or 3DS, whichever it was. Um, want to play the new one so i started playing the original um aside from some weird clunky you know control transitions that that aren't quite working um super stylish game amazing soundtrack yeah you know your standard jrpg teen save the world kind of uh story except with a fun sort of like, uh, you know, I guess kind of death game type element to it um, and a really unique combat system um, yeah. with the pin system, um, which is just, you know, again, I'm only a little bit into it right now, so I can't say too much, but I, I do plan to um, to write up a little something once I finished it. I'm going to, that's the series I'm working on now for for my, my Switch backlog of trying to knock out the, the World That's With You series. So I'll be doing some some impressions, thoughts, and maybe a mini review of those games as I work my way through them over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I actually bought the uh, the Neo um, yeah. game, and, and I couldn't really get into it. I, I played the demo, and I thought, hey, this, this feels pretty cool, and, and the, the combat is interesting, but I couldn't end up sticking with it too yeah. long. I need to return back to it. It's just like this this year was so packed with games because last year was yeah. you know such a drought. Um, it's 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 been tough, but um, today my uh, recommendation is a game called Eighties Overdrive. Okay, are you familiar with? I'm this not. One? No, is it is this like uh, what 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 are we looking at here? Is this like neon pastel or neon uh, lights and and all of that fun stuff? Oh yeah, yeah. It's it's all into the eighties aesthetic. It's eighties arcade racing okay. aesthetic. It it's like. Um, if you remember, like the the cruising series from the '64, yeah. Um, yeah. It, it's a lot like that. I, I picked it up on sale a few weeks ago for like ninety nine cents on on the um, on the eShop. It's it's fun. I, I loved cruising uh, cruising the world, cruising the USA. Um, 
I, I love that series and, and and some of the old arcade racers um, from back when I went to the the Namco uh, arcade in my hometown. Um, it, it reminds me a lot of that. Uh, you can upgrade your cars, you can change colors and and stuff like that. It's it actually may have more um, more upgrades and stuff and and customizations to your car than like the new Cruisin' game does, Cruisin' Blast, which I love too, and I think everybody should pick up. But if you see this one on sale, again, it's called '80s Overdrive. It's a, a fantastic arcade racer. How's the uh, how's the soundtrack? Because I like that that aesthetic. I I, I just picture the music uh, with that kind of aesthetic. I can't remember the genre, like synthwave or something. Yeah, like. Is that it, what we're we're it's dealing all with? Synthwave stuff. You can change the radio station in your car. Uh, okay. I, I think it's it's with the triggers, so you get a few different flavors of of retro synth. Um, but but definitely a game worth checking out, especially okay. if you can find it for you know under. 10 bucks yeah no a good racer is is always is always fun to hop into for a few you know a few hours here and there um great game if you just want to pick something up and put down i'm assuming yeah that that's really what it's good for the races are like a minute or two um you know one of my big complaints about cruising blast was um you know you really can't screw up cruising blast um you know even if you're miles ahead somehow at the end things will become really uh, uh challenging and, and you'll get um you know a lot of space will be made up between who's ever in the second place yeah. and, and you in first place this game is not like that you know it's it's um more of more of just like a traditional racer like a, like a like a two or yeah i guess 2d pixel art racer um anyway really like it nice yeah worth checking out sounds good that wraps up the Nintendo Watcher podcast. Ran a little long today. Uh, the next week will be a little shorter. Um, but we hope you enjoy our, our conversation yeah. about uh, Metroid Dread and hope you pick up the game. Yeah, check it out. It's worth worth your time, worth your energy. And uh, sorry for talking your ear off. <laughs> uh, we're we're going to have a more formalized review um, posted to the Nintendo Watcher website soon about metroid dread so be on the lookout for that me and matthew are are going to tag team that one sounds good thanks guys see ya